Welcome to Thrive Deeper, the show based on the Thrive Bible Reading Guides. This is an ongoing conversation about God's Word with Thrive's author, Dr. Matthew Jacoby, and your host, DJ Payne. G'day and welcome to episode 115 of the Thrive Deeper podcast, your favourite Bible podcast out there. It's DJ Payne here with you. And on this fortnight's episode, Matt Jacoby and I sit down and do our second of a three-part series on the book of Leviticus. I know, I know, we've still got a long way to go as we get through this book, the book of Leviticus. Why is this book so important and what can it mean to us as modern day Christians? Keep on listening. I've also got something really important to tell you about what we're doing with our social media. Keep on listening. I want to share with you what we're doing with our social media here at Thrive and how you can be a part of it. Thank you so much for downloading. Now grab that Bible, pen and your Thrive copy and turn to Leviticus. Matthew, this is part two of our three-part journey into the incredibly mm. exciting book of Leviticus. Yeah, and big picture. You know, there's there's lots of trees in this forest, isn't there? <laughs> but we're we're focusing on the forest. Yeah, this we're, we're, and by and which by, is a great way, I think, to look at the book of Leviticus. It is, it is, and this is, and of course, I'm being facetious. I'm joking because the number yeah. one criticism that I've been getting, and I'm sure right. you've been getting yeah. it too, as people is that we're boring. It, no, well, not that we're boring, but a lot of oh, people think that the book of Leviticus is boring. Right? Yeah, and there's been a little bit of an uprising amongst faithful Thrive readers going, yeah. "Hang on, Matt's making me read the whole well, of the book." Well, of Leviticus. do you know what? Um, this last issue actually. In the previous edition of the Leviticus to Deuteronomy Thrive, yes, um, it just dipped into. I think there was about four readings yeah. in, Levit- in Leviticus. Oh. This time, I thought it's the Word of God. I can't do it. Now you know you're, the, you're preaching to the everyone. Yeah. <laughs> everyone's going to read this book. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to sell uh, a uh, bestseller here. No, um, and I. As I said to you, I have found this book enormously rewarding. Amen. Enormously Amen. rewarding. Amen. And and because of that, I thought, no, I, I want to pass some of that on. Now, look, if you're reading through the book of Leviticus, don't get bogged down in the details. Yeah. There might be some bits that you skim over. Yep, I got that idea. Try to, you know, when you read about the different sacrifices and everything, try to, you know, maybe... Uh, you know, recognize what's some notable things. You don't get too bogged down. Just try to get the the, the big picture. I look, but I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if by the time people are reading through the clean and unclean laws, which we're going to talk about today, it's. Uh, I mean, maybe that they, they maybe they'll. I mean, we covered up to chapter nine. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a lot of sacrifice. You could get lost in that detail. Yes, you know. But again, you know, what we're trying to do is frame that in terms of. And the way that I framed that is at the end of Leviticus, you have this problem. The glory of the Lord fills the end tabernacle. Of exi- the end of Exodus. End of Exodus, sorry. End of Exodus. You have this problem set up. Uh, the glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle. Moses and Aaron cannot enter the tabernacle yeah. because of the glory of the Lord. Yeah. Then in chapter 9, the end of chapter 9, Moses and Aaron enter the tabernacle and the glory of the Lord appears to all the people yeah. and, and they're able to bless the people. Now, what's what happened in between? 
the sacrifices yeah. happen in between. So, and and I think it's also remember I pointed out that, you know, um, on the contrary to this being the kind of annoying side book yes. that you skip over yeah. when you read yeah. the first part of the Bible. Yeah. This book is actually set up so it's what we call the chiastic center the, ex- of the explain, Pentateuch. Uh, explain that word chiastic again. Maybe I should explain the word Pentateuch as well. Actually, <laughs> okay. Well, the pen- <laughs> okay. The first five books of the Old Testament, the the foundation of the rest of the Word of God. Some people call it the books of Moses. Yep. Those first five books are called the Torah. They're yep. called the Pentateuch. Yep. Pent being five. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the first five books of Moses, and in the way that a Hebrew mind would think, especially Hebrew writer is that the center of the book the center it's very very um mirrored you know type of book, you know type of way of thinking we get that picture in Genesis 1 where yeah. you introduced yeah. for for a lot of people you introduce this topic in the first five books the center of the book is Leviticus and yeah. the center of the story of Leviticus is well depending on where you find yeah, the center yeah. is either Moses and Aaron entering in or the day of atonement which yeah, we're yeah. going to cover now yeah, that's so right. two yeah. really crucial parts yeah of the book of Leviticus, yeah. so it is an important book. Yeah, but let me let me let me take a, let me go down a little rabbit trail for one second, dear listener. If you are trying to read through the Bible, or maybe you're doing your own Bible reading yeah. program, or maybe you're using Thrive to read through the Bible, yeah. or whatever you're doing, if you get to places where you struggle, you get to yeah. places where it's boring, you get to places where you're going, "Oh my goodness, I'm falling asleep here. I don't yeah. know." Oh boy, here's a few little tips. Yeah, read aloud to yourself. Stand up. Read aloud. That helps us. I've never done that. Try it out. Stand up and read aloud. uh, uh, These are tips that I use because there's often times where I'll go, oh, boy, Leviticus, okay. I'll stand up and read aloud. I'll walk around the house or walk around outside reading aloud, and I try to be overly dramatic, and I actually understand it a lot more. Um, I like it. Another another thing. Give yourself permission to buy another Bible. Buy a different translation. Buy something you've never read before and go, I'm going to try it in this. There's a bit of a novelty that we have as human beings in buying something new. And we're like, oh, this is new. new." That helps. Try listening. Get an audio Bible. Get the Dwell app and listen to it. You know, listen to the app. Listen to someone reading it to you. Or the the most basic thing, break it down into smaller bite-sized chunks. Okay. I can't read five chapters of Leviticus. I'm going to mm. die. All right, I'm going to read one chapter or half a chapter here. Leave it and yeah. walk away. Yeah, break it down. I'm just trying to give you little yeah, simple, yeah. crucial tips. Yeah, not magical, not magical spells or anything like this, but just yeah. simple human ways. Because the thing about the Book of Leviticus, I heard, I heard a um, a teacher describe the Book of Leviticus this way, um, and I love it. The Book of Leviticus has got a a god built-in obsolescence in it. Wow. As in- What, what do you mean by that? God knew yeah. that the God had to set up the book of Leviticus. Yeah. And for us to understand the book of Leviticus, because one day he was going to make a lot of this book obsolete. Okay. In the person yeah, of Jesus yeah, Christ. Yeah. And we get that when we get to Hebrews yeah. and, the, and everything like that. But not obsolete in the sense that you don't need to read it anymore. No, yeah. no, no. Obsolete in the sense of, like, because that's the problem that we as Christians read this and go, well, this doesn't apply uh, to yeah, me. I, I see what you're getting there. Yeah. This doesn't apply to yeah. me. I don't, I, I'm not, yeah. I'm not sacrificing. I don't need to know how to break open a dove and put it in the fire and do Oh boy, you know, yeah. why do I need to, pure and impure, this doesn't even, culturally, this doesn't make any sense to me. And it's like, no, no, no. Yeah, it doesn't apply to us, 
but you need to understand it so you'll get yeah, the later things. Because it was a step along the way. That's a that's better, right. That's a great way. That's a great way to put it. This yeah. is a stepping stone. Yeah. This is a really crucial stepping yeah. stone. And even though we as Christians in the church are not standing on this stepping stone, we've gone past it. Yeah. We should know okay. what we came. What yeah. our what, what the story that's right. is. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way of uh, putting that. And and I think one of the struggles is that this whole thought world is so alien to us. Completely. And yet. Um, by getting into this thought world, yeah. uh, like I, I actually think it's problematic that we've lost a lot of elements of this, like I, deeply I problematic that there are a lot of elements that we've lost about this thought world that make, for example, when we read about the purity laws, it's just, you know, we just think that's ridiculous, that's ridiculous, that's ri-, it like just seems, and actually I think that's a symptom of a problem. I think there's just something lost there. Mm. And it was interesting, uh, I read uh, a book uh, by the um, quite renowned uh, psychologist Jonathan Haidt, H-I-D-T, H-A-I-D-T, a book called The Happiness Hypothesis. I've been reading a little bit in the area of positive psychology. And it's it's actually quite a dense book. Uh, You know, he's an academic psychologist. But he um, he makes observations about... He studies as an aspect of human flourishing this experience of what he calls elevation, um, spiritual elevation. Now, he's not a, not, not a Christian. I'm not sure whether he's a theist even or whatever. But he really, he really validates um, this experience of, of like this spiritual kind of sensibility that humans have. Mm-hmm. And he, he, he goes into a big discussion around the... Um, the sensitivity that a lot of cultures that he says we've lost and it's un- and, and in a sense he sees it as a loss mm-hmm. this this loss of sensitivity towards the ho- the sense of the holy mm. the elevated right and and he i mean he's talking from a from a psychological point of view and and he and this is this is kind of setting up the the laws of purity and impurity yep. purity because he's saying he that's in all religions you have these kind of laws and he never quite understood what the what's the intuition behind that mm. and it is this intuition to separate the holy from something that um elicits the emotion of disgust and he, he's done it's actually Jonathan Haidt has done uh, a lot of work on actually the emotion of disgust mm. um uh, I don't know if you remember the film Inside Out, you know, where mm. they, they, we have those five emotions. Yeah. And one of them was disgust, one mm. of those five key emotions, actually. Mm. Mm. And, and psychologists recognize that this is actually a, a really fundamental driving emotion, an important emotion, this sense of, of disgust. And, and because, you know, he says that anything that elicits a sense of disgust must be – because elevation – on a psychological level, mm. is like the other end of the scale to that. Mm. And it's not just – and he, he um, distinguishes elevation or a sense of the sacred, as he puts it. He separates that from just being impressed by someone or by ability. He yep. said, actually, psychologically, they've shown it's a completely different experience. Completely, right? yes. Um, uh, and it's interesting. This is a guy you know, who doesn't have any – religious affiliation, but he's saying, oh, there's actually something going on here. And, and I think I think we can experience exactly what you're talking about because if you go, okay, here's a summary of the purity laws. Yeah. It's about food and some of us who are picky eaters or yeah. have or have disgusted yeah. reactions to certain food go, oh, I'm feeling a bit queasy. Uh, it's about, you know, you know, skin diseases. 
oh, yeah. you know, the disgust reflex comes in, or it's about bodily fluids and bodily discharges. Yeah. Uh, like yeah. we still have that innate sense yeah, that's of right. disgust yeah. in us. That's right. Yeah. And so and so that's part of the picture, okay? Yeah. But that's not that's not that's all, all the, of the picture. Yeah, yeah. But let's let's just we'll get there with yeah. the purity and impurity laws. Uh, and I think that just I make that point um, as to say that what his point is that we have lost something. We've lost a distinction. A hundred percent. That actually is something that exists psychologically. We seem to be in uh, that. What he argues, we seem to be built in a way to to we're wired mm. to separate those two experiences. Yeah. And it's really interesting, uh, sort of psychological ac- um, uh, access point to what's happening in Leviticus. Mm. Um, but. Uh, We'll, we'll get there with the purity laws. We'll talk about them um, because we, we haven't covered chapter 10. No. Okay, uh, no, this, hang on. No, chapter, yes, no, yeah, chapter, chapter 10. 10 so, yeah. we've, we last, so if you haven't listened to last the last episode, we covered the first nine chapters of Leviticus. And yep. We spent a long time talking about why Leviticus is such an important yep. book as well. But just to give you a brief overview, Exodus, as you've already said, Matt, Exodus presents a problem. Um, a wonder, Well, it also pre- Exodus presents a wonderful thing where God says, I want to fellowship with you. Yeah. Build me this tabernacle, this tent that you can travel with me and my very presence yeah. will will fellowship with you my Israelite people. They do it, they do exactly as what Moses has com- commanded and the amazing thing is God's presence fills the tabernacle. Yeah. And and that's contrasting by the way. So the the journey sort of that that symbolic journey into the holy of holies yeah. would have been understood by these ancient people as like a journey up the sacred mountain. It's yes. like to the it's like that pinnacle experience talk yeah. about ev- elevation. Now remember the problem is also stated in um Exodus 19, when God appeared on the mountain and said, if anyone even touches touches the mountain, right? All their animals. Yeah, or they they will die. (laughs) So, this sense of the distinction between you who are unclean, and Mm. this is going to lead into the the food laws, and and God who is holy, Mm. like God is saying, you need to understand that distinction. And that mm. distinction actually, which was built into all religions, like in a sense, God is validating that. Now, ancient yeah. religions, uh, religions of the ancient Near East invariably had this idea of the gods dwelling on mountaintops in flat areas. They would build artificial mountaintops, the, mm. the ziggurat pyramids, yes. and they would put the temple at the top. And there was this sense, no one gets to go to be where the gods are. The mm. gods live there. We live here. We're not allowed to go there. And the and, only way to do that is is, is to sacrifice, is to shed well, blood. Or well, to- in fact, in, in the ancient religions, there actually wasn't really a way at all. Even mm. See, sacrifices are about winning favour, appeasing. Favor, appeasing. appeasing yeah. in, in a, not even fully appeasing, but kind of winning favour with the gods yes. so that they would say, oh, yes, okay. y- y- you, I'll we'll give you something. You. It was yeah, very yeah. transactional. Yes. But there was no sense that, that you got to dev- have yes. access to yes. the very presence of those gods, yes. right? Yeah. Now, what is happening that is absolutely unique, uh, and this is the difference of the sacrificial system in Leviticus, is that having God having made that point at Mount Sinai, hmm. saying basically God is saying there, well, actually, yep, yeah, that's true. There is this absolute distinction. That intuition that is expressed in elsewhere is absolutely valid. Mm. But what Moses, the message that Moses gets when he goes up the mountain, mm. okay, so first of all, Moses gets to go up the mountain and mm. he doesn't die, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he comes down with this model, this tabernacle. This is how, and this and this only, the tabernacle and the exact sacrificial system yep. is how 
an impure person yeah. can have access to a holy God. Now, if you don't do it this way and you touch the mountain or you go up the mountain, you die. Yeah. So that leads into chapter ten. They're very good. So we've we've got we've got a progress here, as we saw at the end of Exodus. God's presence fills the tabernacle. Yeah, but the problem is the holiness is so much, not even Moses can come yeah, to it this right. time, and Aaron, the the, yeah. the head of the priests. We go through the first nine chapters of Leviticus. We get the five different types of uh, yep. sacrifices to be made. Yep. The priesthood is set up. They establish that. They do it. Exactly as it has been yep, told to them. That's right. And then Moses and Aaron can go into this presence. That's right. And not die. And not die. Yeah. And it's like, wow, everyone is praising God. Everyone is amazed. And then we get one of my personal favorite stories of, of, of in Leviticus. Well, there's not many stories <laughs> in Leviticus, but we get this incredible, disturbing story. And as Matt, you have said, you know, a few times, and I think we've even said it here on Thrive, when, you, when you're when you reading through the Old Testament, especially the Old Testament, but even the New Testament, and you have a visceral reaction to a story of either, man, that's weird, or that's harsh, or yeah. what's going on yeah. here, stop, because God's trying to get your attention. Yeah. And this and this story of the sons of Aaron, I mean, goodness me, yeah. the sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, yeah. uh, this is set right I mean, it's where it's set is really important, right? Yes. Because Moses and Aaron now have gained access by doing exactly what God said, by going the way that God has set up. They have access uh, to; they are, you know, access to the presence of God. The presence of God appears to all the people. Uh, they they're able to bless the people, um, and then you get this story. Let me let me read at least the first couple of okay. verses here, sure. chapter ten. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, put coals of fire in their incense burners and sprinkled incense over them. In this way, they disobeyed the Lord by burning before him the wrong kind of fire. Some translations will have a strange fire. Yeah. Uh, different than what God had commanded. So fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and burned them up. And they died before the Lord. And then Moses said to Aram, this is what the Lord meant when he said, I will display my holiness through those who come near me. I will display my glory glory before all my people. And Aaron was silent. Isn't that amazing? It's, it's like, and, and that, what is going on here? Well, what's going on there is that it's flowing exactly from where we've heard because yeah. there's a way, there is a way mm-hmm. into the presence and and it's like be very careful Mm -hmm. because that's the way and you always need to you can't there's no sense of entitlement in this yeah ah we're the sons of aaron yeah we can just uh we can just waltz on in there and do things the way that we want yes no no there is actually god shows himself holy Mm. here Mm. reminding them that no you don't get to come because you're the sons of aaron or because or however you want Mm. you get to come because i have made a way and it is depicted in this particular sacrificial system. So, in a sense, the issue here is, uh, I mean, that's the issue. But the we need to remember that the sacrificial system is like three-dimensional theology in that mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is God saying, this is how I have made provision for your guilt mm-hmm. through the sacrifice. So, messing with that, changing that is actually... Uh, equivalent to what to the great um, nemesis of the New Testament, mm. uh, which is false teaching. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. like it's 
it's going a different way or, or a different pathway. No, no, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Mm. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus says. Mm. This is what's going on here. They're, 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 they are sort of barging in as it were some other way. Yes. And again, there's there's so much being written about about this uh, you know, this instance. And to and to sum it all up, and I've read so many different translations, so many different things yeah. over the years about this story. We don't know exactly what they did. As yeah, in, no, like, we don't. That's right. We, yeah. we, we have this sense of strange fire, this fire that is from something else, else. There's a whole world of, and I hate to even give this any space, but there's a whole world of new age slash satanic slash, you know, whatever, um, yeah. you know, theology that is built around this. In fact, I, I remember talking to a, um, a, a full-on new age person who was into all sorts of stuff and they brought up this these two people mm. as heroes of the faith. Right. That's how far removed yeah, right. you know the, the you know yeah. some of this teaching goes because of this concept of strange fire. I know it, it, it yeah. gets really and, weird. and it may it may well be that what they're actually doing there is something that was quite common yes. in the world around them. Yeah, w- were they bringing coals that didn't come from the altar? I don't know. That's one translate. There's 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 yeah. a whole different things. There is, there is something though about letting the Bible interpret the Bible. Yeah, and in this chapter, chapter ten, we go straight from these commands. Then we have, then we have Aaron's nephews being set up as the the, the head priests. Yeah, you know. Yeah, we have, and again, a really strange, um, you know, uh, point of this story is the commands around burial of of the of Aaron's sons because it makes a point saying that their clothes weren't burnt. And it's like what yeah. this isn't not like this is not like a fire happened like something yeah, yeah. God like God charged yeah, it's right. like Raiders of the Lost Ark type right, of thing you yeah, know God did yeah. something to them and you know it goes on and then the Lord says now let me tell you about the priesthood and drinking and alcohol yeah now does that mean that Aaron's sons were somehow inebriated had somehow you know mm. is this is this God maybe. I yeah. think the I think where it's placed yeah. sort of alludes to that, yeah. but again, we don't know exactly yeah, 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 why. Yeah, that's right. But yeah. like you said, Matt, the overall principle here is God demonstrating. I am revealing the only way to come to me yeah. through Moses yeah. and through Aaron. You know this through my through my you know prophet and this priest. Yeah, do not go the other side of that. And the other thing that is that that when I was rereading this again, I had that you know because we've spent some time looking at the life of Christ mm. mirroring the Old Testament, yeah. all of a sudden I was like, oh, man, this reminds me of the book of Acts in chapter 5 where yeah. the, they come to the apostles and they lie and they're dead. Yeah, yeah that's right. You yeah. know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, again, I'm not saying that this is exact, yeah. but it's that same principle of like, no, no, God yeah. is telling you the only way to come, do not mess yeah, around Yeah, because in us. a sense the problem with Ananias and Sapphira there in Acts chapter 5 is that in a way they're trying to buy their – they're trying to buy their way in yeah. with as little as possible. And that's, you know, they never had to give anything in the first place. They just needed to be truthful. Yeah. And, and But, you know, they're trying to buy their way into the respect and whatever, you know. Um, I mean, that's one way of looking at that. Yeah. So, I think I think here the, the key the key thing that, that this is getting across is that God is saying, you need to remember, I am holy and you are unclean. This is the big... This is the big thing. Yeah. God is holy. Yeah. You are unclean. It's like getting that, and this actually is where the um, uh, the 
laws of ceremonial cleanliness come in. Yeah. Because God says, I am teaching you to distinguish between clean and unclean. This is a, a, a really uh, telling um, moment. We've got, uh, you need to distinguish clean from unclean. So this habitual, it's like um, so much of their life was about to say, oh, is this clean or, or is this unclean? You, you, I think you were just about to say the yeah. word. I was hoping you were going to say the word. So much of their life is about discernment. Yeah, that's right. Discernment. Yeah. Discernment. And again, discernment to a particular set of rules, yeah. but that is training them yeah. to look at the world through a discerning way. Yeah. What is permitted and what is not permitted. Yeah. What is God's way that's and what right. is not God's yeah, way. So in a sense, it divides the world into the, uh, you know, into the sort of clean and unclean. And so this is this is a kind of ceremonial training that is going to ingrain a certain way of thinking. Mm-hmm. That actually and, and it's not it's not about those particular things. Uh it's about what that ingrains. You know, so anything um you know so certain and and even with the food laws. Yes. We don't actually know exactly why no. certain animals are deemed un- I mean we can there, there are guesses as yes. to why that is and yeah. you know it's about again uh, some of it is about animals that at that time elicited in terms of food a sense of disgust. Yes. Uh whether it's because of how those animals uh lived what they ate yeah. uh you know the associations between those animals and the cultures uh, around yeah, them, yeah, it, the cultures around them, whether those animals were used in symbols in different, you know, yes. Again, that there's there's a world there that we we don't know enough. I mean, we know a bit about, but yep. um, but look, we don't know exactly why. But certainly, this this distinction yeah. is is being made here. We, and which and is I, important. And I think sometimes we can get lost. And I know there's trends out there like. You know, oh, you want to live your best life. You want to be there for God. You want to be healthy. Join the Leviticus diet. You know, uh, you know, for just nine ninety five, <laughs> you could download this recipe yeah. plan. You know, the point of this. Yeah, it's it, not just about health. Yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. In fact, it's not Thank even. You. It's not really even about health. Yeah. As, as such, look, perhaps uh, part of it is. Yeah, yeah. Look, and perhaps for the ancient world, like thousands of years ago, this was beneficial to the health. There was a beneficial here. Uh, lo- Doctors, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you know, doctors, medical people, scientists have come along and said, you know what, these laws that the you know the Jews yeah. had, that's actually beneficial for yeah, this. Yeah, this, yeah, this, that's this. right. Yeah, so, so that, that's right. There is that element, and and we actually shouldn't celebrate. Uh, sorry, shouldn't um, uh, separate. I should mm-hmm. say the physical health considerations from yeah. the the you know the spiritual considerations yeah. of of you know purity and and so forth. Uh, so th- those things are associated uh, very closely. Now, the, the food laws is one thing, but then we get into these laws about, you know, anything where there is, you know, skin disease or where there is bleeding or, or you, well, childbirth. Yeah, anything purification about child, and you're like, hang on, childbirth. We're commanded to have children. Yeah, How can there be some right. sort of impurity about childbirth? And so the misunderstanding here is that what that these laws mean that there's something wrong. There's almost like if you have a skin disease, you become unclean, or if you have a child, or, or you know, even after after sexual intercourse, or yeah. these are, there are these laws that say, you know, th- there's this moment of uncleanliness, yeah. and it's not. And this is the key. This is a key thing here. Mm. Those things don't render you unclean. Mm. They are ceremonial reminders mm. Mm. that we are all unclean. Yeah, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. And and again, this is this is actually something that later on in in history, and certainly at the time of Jesus, 
hadn't quite got that because it was, oh, if, if you're a leper, then like you're unclean yes. as though I'm not unclean. Yeah. When actually um, the, the, there was a kind of, you know, there was a kind of benefit to this. Like I want you to imagine this, right? So uh, you, you have a, a skin disease pops up on your, yeah. you know. You have black mould coming up yeah, in the or corner whatever. of your, yeah, that's in your right. building. Yeah. You've got a mouldy tea towel in the corner of your room. That's right. Or, you know, if, if it's, you know, you're, if it's the, the, your monthly cycle, if you're a woman, or if you're, you know, after childbirth or some kind of disease, any kind of bleeding. It's not, it's not that that um, makes you unclean. There's a sense of that that reminds you that you are, and it's like the way that the law is constructed, it's like you go outside of the camp for a period of that. It's like you get to have a retreat. <laughs> I'm going I'm to be silly for a moment, yeah, but yeah. in a sense, it's like you get to have this time where you are remi- very viscerally reminded that actually uh, we are human beings, we are mortal, yeah. fallible, yeah. impure, yeah. In, in our natural state. Yes. Uh, and that we need purification. And, and uh, you, you get to be reminded of that very, very tangibly. And, and again, the overall reminder is God is holy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, God is holy. And, it's, and again, we, this is the problem with the idea of clean or unclean, pure or impure. In our minds, we think about it as sinful and not sinful. And it's not about it's not about yeah. the sin and non-sin. Th- yeah. That's a different thing. Yeah. This is a completely different thing to remind yeah. to remind us that we we can't just do what the Aaron's yeah. sons did. We can't just waltz in there and say, accept me for who I am. Yeah. He can't do it. Yeah. This is I mean, this is the part I think that is very countercultural uh for us because it's not a you know, th- this isn't about through our cultural lens, we can, oh, they're, they're, these people are being shamed. This is terrible. Yeah. Yes. You, you're being shamed just because you're a woman or just because yeah. you're this or. No. That is so, it is so far away from, yeah. from that, mm. you know. Actually, this is, um, this is building something in, a consciousness of something that is the most important thing as human beings mm. that we can realize. Now, this is a core aspect of the Christian worldview. Now, if you don't accept the Christian worldview, of course, it's going to seem ridiculous. But the core aspect of the Christian worldview is that we have fallen short of the glory of God. Yeah. Okay. Now, I, I, I want to explain that in terms of an axis. I want you to think of a of a, a horizontal. I may have explained this somewhere else in another episode of something that you and yeah. I do together. But um, of a horizontal axis and a vertical axis, right? Like a graph. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. often, often we can think of the problem as just being a sort of a legal moral problem. You know, we do things that are right or wrong and, and, and we become culpable and so forth mm. and, and we need to say, sorry, God, and, and you know, why, and God, why can't God just, you know, forgive us and all of this sort of stuff, yeah. which God does. But we need to understand that on, the, on another axis. There's the right and wrong axes, which mm. is, let's call that this horizontal axis, but there's a vertical axis as well, and that is the pure and impure, the holy mm. and the, the impure. Mm. And, um, and that is about our ability to actually connect or be embraced by God, because by our guilt, we become spiritually impure. Mm. Um, and this is not a shaming thing or, you know, this is actually about facing the reality 
that we are in a state from which God has made provision for us to be saved. Mm. This is not, oh, don't, how dare you insult mm. me? Yeah. How, how dare you say I'm, I'm impure? Mm. No, well, that would be a problem if I'm saying you're impure and I'm not, DJ. Yeah. No, actually, we're saying everyone is fundamentally in this boat. By just yeah. living and doing the right, doing the things that you're called yeah. to do, you naturally become impure. Th- like, that's right. Yeah. And, and, you know, and we, we, are, we are born with this, um, uh, with this sort of habituation in a mm. sense, you know, just it's like, you know, a, kind of built into us. But God is saving us from that. He's giving us, yeah. you know, he, he is forgiving us and, and purifying us mm. um, by the blood of his sacrifice, ultimately mm. Jesus Christ. This is what the, the sacrifices. Mm. And so we're pointing to. So there are these constant reminders built in when, when this happens. Let that be a reminder to you of your of your impurity, your fundamental spiritual impurity as a human being, and go to the priest and go through this sacrifice. It's like this is a moment for you to reconnect with the fundamental truth of your salvation. Yes, and 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 it it spurred on. It's interesting to read. It spurs on the the people who took this the right way, and we should be taking this yeah. the right way. Thankfulness yeah. for a provision. To yeah. come to him. Yeah, that's not right. Not saying, sorry, sorry guys, no, that's impure, right. yeah. uh, nothing to do. Exactly. So this is not God shutting people out. Yes. That's not what these laws are about. Yes. These, these are, are opportunities for these people actually to take the journey again. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's good stuff. Let's take a quick break. Uh, I've got some really important information to tell you and we'll be back with, uh, with you know, a couple of criticisms and, and some other ideas, but a really exciting part, if not the most exciting part of the book of Leviticus next here on Thrive Deep. family it is your old mate dj here interrupting this episode of thrive to tell you something really important i've got something really important to let you know something that's going to affect you that i i want to give you some background around first okay so bear with me here as i tell you what we're doing i've had a lot of questions around the support that i ask you for with thrive so i need to be really detailed with you the mission of Thrive. It's a three-person team. You know Stuart Duncan, he's the man behind the scenes. Matt Jacoby, my co-host here, and myself. Now, the three of us are working on Thrive. We, you know, Matthew does the booklets and Stuart publishes them. You know them, the actual booklets or the Kindle booklets or the electronic booklets, everything that takes you through the Word of God. We also have the two podcasts, Thrive Deeper and Thrive Perspectives. We've got some other series of works and books and things that we're working on and some videos and all great stuff that we want to do because our mission is quite simply to help you thrive in this life in Jesus Christ as we go deeper into the Word. All right? It's really, really simple. That's our mission there, to take you and to help you thrive in God's Word. Now, there's costs involved in all of this. As you can imagine, believe it or not, there's costs in us even doing the podcast. 
there's time in editing, there's studio equipment, there's costs with the, uh, you know, uh, hosting the files, there's costs of getting it into every platform, there's costs around it all. Every, you know, so many little parts. If I actually went went through every little bit from the music that we use and license, uh, you know, to the editing time, to the storage space, to the website, everything, there is a cost in all that we do. And we're happy to pay that cost. This is what we believe God's called us to. But I want to make things better for you when you support. I'm asking you to support financially and God bless you if you have. But I want to make things better. I want to bring you in when you support financially. And we have hundreds of people who follow us on social media. We have hundreds of people downloading these episodes every week. So what we've decided to do this year and what I'm going to begin transitioning to, ready, ready this, we're going to begin transitioning on our social media, especially on our Facebook, is we're going to start closing down different parts of our social media to everyone, start deleting things out of there, and we're going to have a whole new social media group for those who are able to financially support. Now, you can always still email us from the website. You can always get in contact with us. But we want to build a community of those who really believe in Thrive and are part of it. All right. So we're going to build a brand new Facebook group for those who have financially supported us. And we want to be more active in there. We want to release videos behind the scenes, live things. Watch Matt and I as we actually record a video live, Uh, you know, record an episode live. We can do it via video. There's great things that we could do. We want you to be a part of it. And we're asking you to dig down and financially give to cover our costs. I know I sound like a broken record lately, but as we're setting everything up for 2021, We've got big dreams and big beliefs in where God wants us to, to go. So I hopefully, I'm prayerfully that you can join us in this. Keep online. If you're online and you're looking at our Thrive group and our Thrive pages and all the different things that we do, keep an eye on that. They're going to start changing soon. Head over to thrivetoday.tv, thrivetoday.tv. You'll see the donate button right there. It's really simple. You choose the amount. You can do one off or a monthly subscription of as little as you want to give. It's really simple. Prayerfully, we're asking you to consider it. That's enough from me. Let's get back into this episode of Thrive Deeper and dig down in the book of Leviticus. Bless you. Thank you so much for taking the time and listening this and not fast forwarding through it. I'll talk to you at the end of the episode of Thrive Deeper. This is Thrive Deeper, episode 115. This is part two of a three-part series on the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament. Now, Matthew, I'm going I'm to bring you one of the most tired, uh, I think, silly yeah. expressions that I hear in popular culture today, but I still hear it all the time. Even by so-called academic people and enlightened people, I hear this all the time. Someone will say something about the Bible. Someone will say something about being a believer or a Christian. 
And then you'll get this academic or this know-it-all or a new atheist or anything like that stand up and go, <laughs> the Bible, <laughs> it has the book of Leviticus in it. That tells me that there's clean and unclean. Like, oh, do you still eat shrimp? <laughs> Who would believe the Bible? Chuck it all out. It talks about eating shrimp. You either get you either get eating shrimp or prawn. You either get mm. that that analogy, yeah. or it says, oh, do you wear anything on your on your body right now that's mixed material? <laughs> You're not going to heaven. <laughs> I, I've heard that. That is yeah, like that's I a have cap. heard that. Yeah, that is a cap that the you, book of Leviticus is cited for this. Yes, this is it proves that the Bible is this archaic yes. thing that we just can we just move beyond that and this is all primitive, mm. uh, primitive people stuff. I, that that is exactly the attitude. <laughs> Don't get me started. <laughs> that is exactly the attitude that is this classic, this kind of post enlightenment arrogance that that we. Have, we are the advanced peoples mm. that we have advanced, and and uh, you know these primitive cult that still, by the way, exist. Yeah. You know that have this wonderful immediate relationship with the spiritual world and this intuitive sense of sacrifice and purity and in impurity. The very thing that I'm saying at the start that Jonathan uh, Haidt uh, is saying that we've lost. Mm. Um, and that is is actually a loss. Mm. You know, it's people like that who I think through really not understanding, it's interesting Jonathan Haidt admits to the fact that he was in that place, but actually having understood these cultures and and, uh, and why th- these these ideas of purity and purity, he, ac- he ac- actually recognised there's actually enormous riches yeah. in this and a really profound reason for this, that in the kind of Western post-enlightenment arrogance, mm. we just wipe everything off. Oh, there's no, there's no, there's no sacred. It's, yeah. it's this process of what um, the philosopher Charles Taylor talks about as uh, disen- the disenchantment of the world. Yeah. Um, in fact, it's a terminology that the sociologist Max Weber used and, and in a sense mournfully says, we have created this disenchanted world of it's just like, yeah. There's no, there's no awe. There's no wonder because everything's yeah. just natural processes, and and we've completely buffered ourselves and lost a sense of the sacred, a sense of the, um, of of the other, a sense of the holy. You know, th- yeah. these are things. That's a loss. You know, yeah. and and I think so. So that that kind of attitude is, um, I think, is just endemic of that of what, in fact, uh, you know, and I've quoted um, Adorno and Horkheimer, the the founder. The, founders of the Frankfurt School and Critical Theory, who say that that kind of post-enlightenment kind of um, way of limiting the universe to that smaller field of reality, mm. he, he actually, that they actually uh, call it um, totalitarian. It's totalitarianism. Yeah. It's like intellectual totalitarianism. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I, well, I love that because, you know, <laughs> and of course I don't buy into everything that they say, but, but that, I think that's an, that indictment is... is Valid. I've I've actually had that leveled at myself multiple times, especially in my career as as a photographer for twenty three yep. years. I moved around a lot of creative people, worked in the photography industry, yep. and when people, you know, you know, praise God, I was able to make a lot of good friends. But then when they would find out I was Christian, those arguments would come out. They would want to know, hang on, are you one of those type of like what type of Christian yeah. are you? Yeah. And then when they find out, well, actually, I'm a real, you know, dare I say it fundamentalist, I believe the yeah. Bible, you know, is the word of God. They were gobsmacked. And I've heard that argument in my face yeah. many, many times. And the number one thing I'd say is, oh, so you've read the Old Testament. 
Yeah. No, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> oh, you've read. Oh, you've read just the first five books. Yeah. No, no, no. Oh, you've read the book of Leviticus. You're talking about no, and it's always just no. I saw Richard Dawkins do that argument on someone, and I was impressed. Yeah. And it's like how you are now guilty of what you're accusing me of. You yeah. you think as a Christian, I'm just following some blind religion, and I haven't yeah. thought about it for myself. Yeah. You're doing exactly what you, you're accusing me to do. Depending on the relationship, it either worked out or it got it got heated. But it's. Uh, I just wanted to throw that throw that out there because as we go through the book of Leviticus, some of these things might spring up, things like that that you've heard around in mm. culture. Yeah, but uh, you know, stay he, stay it's, focused. It's interesting that um, uh, th- again, getting back to Jonathan Hayden, and, and again, I'm referring to that because th- this is me going out into the you know, it's like going to the moon and looking back at the earth. You know, it's I mean, sometimes looking at ourselves from different. Uh, angles, you know, particularly skeptics who have a bit of a moment where they said, "Oh, actually, no, I got this wrong. Actually, there is something." I love that those kind of realizations. And and he he is there's an interesting Jonathan Haidt refers to this um, a story from the late uh, late 1800s by a mathematician, very strong Christian mathematician called Flatland, and it's it's a really interesting story yeah. where he. Uh, have you heard of it? Yeah, yeah. It's it, there's an animated version. Yeah, there's an animated version. Yeah, that's which is right. Wonderful. And it's a story about figures that live uh, on a two dimensional plane. You know the squares, and 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 one day they have this experience of of a of a three dimensional figure that enters their world, and they just can't. They they only experience so when when the the sphere intersects with their flat world, you know they they see it you know, a point and then it grows and they only see it two-dimensionally and they can't understand, they just can't, Comprehend. you know, and then the sphere pulls Mr. Square out and shows him the three-dimensional world and yeah. and 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 Jonathan Haidt, he quotes that story and talks about how in his research into, um, into this kind of religious or, or this spiritual kind of worldview, mm. for him it was like that kind of thing. He, he was He was going into another dimension that he felt... Oh, hang on, we've we've lost this, yeah. Uh, and um, yeah, it's it's a really interesting. There's actually uh, a scholar of religion. I'm just um, bringing this up called um, uh, Machea um, uh, Eliade, and um, I, I just want to read you the last the last passage um, of uh, of this. Yep. He says, in short, and this is, again, not a Christian uh, writer, but I think it addresses what you're talking about. Uh, He says, in short, the majority of men without religion still hold to pseudo-religions and degenerated mythology. So it's so deeply ingrained. They still, you know, there's this sense of the sacred and there are other ways in which they, you know, they kind of practice that. But he goes on... um, to say, uh, from one point of view, it could almost be said uh, that in the case of those moderns who proclaim that they are non-religious, religion and mythology are eclipsed in the darkness of their unconscious, which means too that in such men, the possibility of reintegrating a religious vision of life lies at great, great depth. Or from the Christian point of view, it could be said that non-religion is equivalent to a new fall of man. In other words, that non-religious man has lost the capacity to live um, religion consciously and hence to understand and assume it, but that in his deepest being, he still retains a memory of it uh, as after the first fall, his ancestor, and he goes on, he talks about how, and this is again, this is a, a, a leading scholar, yep. professor of uh, you know, philosophy and, and religion at, um, uh, at 
uh, I think at Sh- um, Chicago University. You know, again, validating yeah. this sense, this other dimension mm. of the sacred, that this is something actually we've lost and it is a loss mm. and, and kind of recognizing that. And there's an increasing body of literature from outside the religious world acknowledging, no, actually this is a real loss here. And, and you know, Charles Taylor is, is one that, that does that. Anyway, well, I've, have, I've gone in, I've gone, you've I've gone, gone for a deep dive because you, man, you triggered me. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, you, you triggered my <laughs> annoyance there with this That's a my very, fault. you know, that, that very kind of, um, now, if you're interested, yeah, you know, you're, you're, anyway, you've gone full philosophy. You've gone full philosophy there. For those who are interested, we'll have some of those links to the books yeah. and the people that you've mentioned yeah. there that I can't spell as I'm taking yeah. notes. I'll get Matt to send me the links. We'll put them in the show notes. So if you're thinking, gee, wouldn't mind having a look at that, or who was that that Matt mentioned? Uh, you know, all those things will have links in the show notes. Now, let's come back to Leviticus as we are wanting to get that sense of wonder and holiness and purity and the other back into our minds, the book of Leviticus does this, and it does it through these laws of purity and impurity about, uh, you know, everything from clothing to bodily fluids to, you know, day-to-day practice to mold and things that we see in our life. And then we get to chapter 16. Yeah, which is the... Really is the high point. This is the this is the tip of the mountain, isn't it? Mm. Uh, the day of atonement. So this is the one day of the year when someone, namely the high priest, is actually able to go into the holy of holies. Yeah. So if you imagine, there's the big kind of courtyard mm-hmm. with the altar of the burnt offerings. This and the, is the tabernacle, the tent yeah, of meeting, right, yeah. or whatever you want to call you've it. You've got that big courtyard, and then you've got the enclosed tent. You've got the holy place. Mm. Where you've got the lamp stands and the and the show what they call the show table of showbread and the the incense burning before the great big curtain. Mm-hmm. Okay, now the curtain is leading into a section that is absolutely and all the time closed off, verboten. Yeah, because again, this is uh, symbolically where the the very presence of God's known as the holy of holies. Okay, and a, and it's a thick curtain, yeah, like that's a curtain, right. you, you know, don't think of it as a veil or anything like this is a thick, you know, almost walled yeah, off area. That's right. And that's where the Ark of the Covenant uh, is in that space. And so um, only once a year does the high priest, and this is, this is this moment where I think the high priest most, where, where there is the, I mean, there is Christological references throughout the oh. a book of Leviticus, mm. but this is the this is the the real moment where this is Jesus entering the holy place. I mean, this is what the book of Hebrews talks about. Well, before we get there, walk us through the Day of Atonement. What does the priest have to do? What yeah. happens in the Day of Atonement? I know there's a bull, there's two goats, there's some sacrificing. One goat is let go. One is like, what is happening? Yep. So, so, and and I'll I, I won't go into the. The really nitty gritty details. No. So basically, the priests need to offer a, a sacrifice for themselves, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they do. They go. They go through that process, and they do the you know spattering on the altar and all of that sort of stuff uh, with the blood, and which is the proof of payment. Okay, and then uh, and then they do they they do this on behalf uh, of the people. Okay, so um, uh, so if you go down. Um, there is there there are basically two goats that are presented. Yes, um, there is uh, the goat that is the sacrifice for the and uh, whose uh, blood is then the goat is sacrificed. The blood is taken. This and this is where that this is the moment where the high priest goes into 
uh, the Holy of Holies. Yeah. And he puts the blood on the atonement cover. There's a wonderful picture actually here because the atonement cover is the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. Mm. And inside the Ark of the Covenant, of course, is the Ten Commandments. Okay, mm. this is what is being broken. The covenant has been broken, mm. right? And it's inside this. And you've got the, the cherubim overshadowing the Ark, you know, representing kind of the gaze of heaven. Yeah. So it's almost this sense that that box represents the tension. Yeah. You know, you've got... The, the cherubim looking down on the as the kind of witnesses, yes. oh, this has been broken. And by placing the blood on the atonement cover, mm. there's this sense you're putting the blood in between, as it were, the gaze of heaven and the, and the testimony mm. of, of, the, uh, of the sin of God's people. Mm. And the blood is like this proof of payment. L- uh, life has been given. Uh, the penalty has been paid yeah. in full. And so in that moment, that symbolically covers... All of the sin of all God's people for that cycle for that year. Yeah, you know, and and when we say it covers the sin, it also covers like the sin of the nation. It's like that that corporate moment of corporate redemption. Yeah, but it, 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 I get the sense. Tell me if I've got this wrong, Matt. Yeah, I get the sense. Like we've just gone through these purity laws. Yeah. of you know, yeah. how how things are made yeah. pure and impure, and like it's a natural thing. This atones for the impurity as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. so it's. In a way, this is this is the this is the corporate moment, and this is you know important for our individualistic way of thinking because it's not just about between us and it's actually us as a people. Yeah, that there was a sense you know of corporate culpability, you know, and 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 the the sort of corporate sin of the people and the fact that it opened the way for God to bless them as a people, even though there were you know varying degrees of yes. obedience amongst yeah. the people, the Day of Atonement meant simply by being a part of this people, as you know, th- there was a sense of blessing under that. Mm. Uh, and, and that's what th- sort of the Day of Atonement was, uh, was signifying. Now, th- there was a second goat, and this was known as the scapegoat, and they would place, you know, again, similar um, kind of process that, ha- you know, they would place their hands, confess the sins of Israel over it, and it would be sent off. Uh, into the desert, yeah. and um, and pr- you know presumably would die uh, in the desert. And I mean, this is a very interesting, uh, interesting one because the desert was, you know, the wilderness places were seen as sort of the, um, you know, the places of evil spirits, and mm. and uh, you know, it's an interesting kind of illusion here with the scapegoats, like almost being given over in that sense, um, uh, like a ransom, yeah, you know. Mm. Uh, so that, you know, and and so and it's th- so it was through that that there was this sense of uh, this is the thing that maintains God's covenant with the people uh, as a whole. Now it, it's interesting that we still, I mean, this this concept of a scapegoat it's, is thousands of years old. Mm. You know, we read it in the in the Book of Leviticus. It is still a phrase in the English yeah, language yeah. that has cultural you know weight yeah, to it, yeah. and we understand what it means. But I wonder if the if the cultural understanding, because a lot of times it's like, "Hey, I'm not your scapegoat. Yeah, don't try to pin that on me." Type of thing. It's almost like culturally, we bristle against the 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 fact that this scapegoat that that is going part of the Day of Atonement is a good thing. Yeah, that's right. You so, know what yeah, I mean? Like, there's yeah, a funny it, cultural well, well, it's baggage. Generally, to it. Yeah, in, in our culture, it's generally a bad thing because someone is made the scapegoat for this for the. For the wrongdoing of others, yeah. you know. So an organisation, and this is, I, I actually think the 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 way that that's used actually has some, 
kind of illustrative yes. uh, effectiveness. Yeah. Because, you know, let's say an organization like really f- does the wrong thing and it's somehow endemic in the organization, right? Yeah. Rather than the organization going down, uh, being taken down, if they can blame one person, if they can say, <laughs> well, actually, it all came down to this one person. Yeah. I mean, and it never is, no, but they no, say. Of course it all comes down to this one person, then essentially that person uh, takes the blame, Mm. gets sacked, is sent off into the desert, as it were, (laughs) into the wilderness, so that the organisation can keep going. Wow. And that, in a sense, it actually is kind of what's going on here with the scapegoat. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, but but the scapegoat is, is... is uh, symbolic here of Christ, mm. who who became our scapegoat, mm. who actually took the blame, and and this is you know around the crucifixion of Christ. This is, I think, really powerful in the way that this connects with the crucifixion of Christ, because the very thing that that the people of God were getting wrong, and the reason why they handed Jesus over is because Jesus wasn't serving their agenda. Right? Mm. They wanted. You know, they wanted this kingdom in a different kind of sense. They wanted to kick the Romans out. And, and so, Jesus was actually crucified with a bunch of brigands who were like revolutionaries. Yeah. And as, and I mean, crucifixion wasn't uh, reserved for common criminals. It was always uh, reserved for people who were kind of political, crim- you know, it was the more of the political crimes. And, yes. and this is the very thing that Jesus was telling his people, don't go that way, mm. and warning that he actually becomes the scapegoat mm. whereby they can be forgiven for going the wrong way mm. if only they would acknowledge uh, if only they would acknowledge him. So, so that that moment in the crucifixion with Jesus crucified between these two brigands, again, not just common thieves, they were like brigands, you know. The, the, uh, revolutionaries. Yeah, kind of revolutionaries. And um, so I just think that's a really powerful picture. And even the fact that one of them mm. uh, is saved on the cross next oh. to Jesus is such a powerful moment of the possibility that because Jesus is mm. being the scapegoat, those who go completely the wrong way can be uh, can be saved. But also, in a sense, uh, there's this corporate sense that because Jesus did that, it's Jesus dying not just not just for you and me, but for His people, mm. for His church, mm. for uh, for God's all, covenant people. All of those Old and New call, Testament, all of those yeah. people who have called yeah. out. Now, this is why I love the book of Leviticus so much. Now we're getting into the meat meat of why I love this book so much and why I think it's so important because it is directly, there is a, not a thin red cord, there is a thick red cord. There's a thick red curtain that goes from the book of Leviticus Right to my favourite book of the Bible, the yeah. book of Hebrews. Yeah. And so I want to I want to indulge me here, Matt, as, yeah, we, yeah, as, yeah, as we wrap up, because I know you've got a little bit more to share. But the book of Hebrews, chapter nine. Now that we've got, I, I encourage you to go read a bit of Hebrews yeah. while you're in the while you're in the land of Leviticus. Go back because it is going to ha- have so much more weight. Listen, I love it. Let's finish with this. Can we do that? Yeah, we can do this. Okay. I want to read. I want to read. I don't know where I'm going to stop here, but let me read some of chapter. <laughs> I'll end up reading the rest <laughs> of Leviticus. We get to the end of Revelation. <laughs> All right, let's finish with this. This is Hebrews chapter 9, and I'll stop when I feel like it's time to stop. Um, Out of the New Living Translation, starting at verse 1. Now, in that first covenant between God and Israel, there were regulations for worship and a sacred tent here on the earth. There were two rooms in this tent. In the first room were a lampstand, a table, and loaves of holy bread on the table. And this was called the holy place. 
There was a curtain, and behind the curtain was a second room called the Most Holy Place. Now, in that room were a gold incense altar and a wooden chest called the Ark of the Covenant, which was covered with gold on all sides. Inside the Ark were a gold jar containing some manna, Aaron's staff that sprouted leaves, and stone tablets of the covenant with the Ten Commandments written on them. The glorious cherubim were above the Ark, and their wings were stretched out over the Ark's cover, the place of atonement. But we cannot explain all of these things right now. Now, When these things were all in place, the priests went in and out of the first room regularly as they performed their religious duties. But only the high priest goes into the most holy place and only once a year and always with blood, which he offers to God to cover his own sins and the sins the people have committed in ignorance. By these regulations, the Holy Spirit revealed that the most holy place was not open to the people as long as the first room and the entire system it represents were still in use. Now, this is an illustration pointing to the present time. For the gifts and the sacrifices that the priests offer are not able to cleanse the consciences of the people who bring them. For that old system deals only with food and drink and ritual washing, external regulations that are in effect only until their limitations can be corrected. So, Christ has now become the high priest over all good things that have come. He has entered the great perfect sanctuary in heaven, not made by human hands and not part of this created world. Once and for all time, he took blood into that most holy place, Mm. but not the blood of goats and of calves. He took his own blood and with it, he secured our salvation forever. Under the old system, the blood and goats and bulls and ashes of young cows could cleanse people's bodies from ritual defilement. But just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our hearts from deeds that lead to death so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. This is why he is the one who mediates the new covenant between God and the people so that all who are invited can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under that first covenant. Love it. Amen. Unusual ending there for, <laughs> for the podcast. It always feels a bit weird when the spotlight goes on me at the end. I like it when Matt can sum it all up in a nice, uh, nice little package there. But this is why this book is so important because without the foundations of this book, the work of Jesus Christ and the cross, the fundamental aspects of the gospel really don't have as much power as they could if we understood the book of Leviticus. Oh, now, 
Uh, I want you to go and read the book of Hebrews now. That's your homework before the next episode. And don't forget, head over to thrivetoday.tv and support what we're doing, whatever you can afford a month, because we want you to be part of this new social media era that we're doing going forward. All right, I will see you next fortnight for the last final wrap-up episode on the book of Leviticus here on Thrive Deeper. Thanks for listening to this episode of Thrive Deeper. Matthew and DJ really appreciate the questions and thoughts about what you're reading in the Bible as you go through it with Thrive. Our home on the internet is thrivetoday.tv. You can contact us, ask questions, see all of our resources and much more at our website, thrivetoday.tv. The Thrive Today Network is on Facebook. Our Facebook page and links to our community groups are waiting for you. Just search and like Thrive Today page in Facebook now. Visit ratethispodcast.com slash thrive deeper. If you appreciate what we do and want to help us reach more people, go to ratethispodcast.com slash thrive deeper. Until next time, our prayer is that these shows will inspire you to go deeper into God's Word and thrive. This was another DJP.FM production. <laughs>